Hello and welcome to Talking Salford, a new podcast where we bring back some of our most celebrated and interesting alumni back to campus to rekindle their memories of their time here and find out about the achievements they've gone on to have in their careers. The university has delivered some outstanding alumni over the years and we are very excited to revisit their Salford journey and learn about how their student experience impacted their career after graduation. My name is Lachlan Campbell and I will be your host for today's episode, which we are recording here in one of the new Adelphi's recording studios on the Peel Park campus. Uh, we've got cameras on us now as we plan to film each episode so you can see our lovely faces by watching us on YouTube if you'd prefer by heading to the official Salford University YouTube channel. Now it's time to kick things off by welcoming our first ever guest on Talking Salford. A big welcome to Nick Ransom. Nick, how are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. Nick is a freelance journalist, assistant producer and neurodiversity consultant. Originally from the Berkshire Surrey border, Nick graduated from Salford in 2018 with a degree from our BA TV and radio production programme. Nick found out he was autistic while he was in his second year at Salford and has since become a leading campaigner in making neurodiversity more visible in the media community and founded the Neurodiverse Media Community Group. Over the last year, he's worked as an assistant producer on the highly acclaimed BBC documentary Insider Autistic Minds with Chris Packham. As a freelance journalist, he has appeared as an on-screen reporter for Sky Sports News and worked on shows including Four in a Bed, Location, 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 and worked in a variety of roles for the BBC, including as a digital broadcast journalist. In recognition of his achievements, Nick was named the Rising Star Alumni Achievement Award winner at the 2022 Create Awards. That's quite a list of achievements there, Nick. <laughs> Gosh, so, yeah. So first yeah. things first, how does it feel to be back on campus? Yeah, it's really good. I actually came in through the car park where, when I came up for the open day, we, we parked with my parents and it was, uh, yeah, weird getting out in exactly the same spot where probably I took my first steps in Salford. So, yeah, it couldn't have been any more sort of perfect in terms of storytelling today. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I mean, it's you obviously had such an eventful time here with us as a, as a student. Mm. Um it's weird when you look back on your time here now that you're back here on campus does do the memories come back is it nostalgia are there happy memories a pride about what you've achieved here yeah 100 percent. i think it was it, it still i mean it feels like a long time ago but it was only five years but mm -hmm. yeah when i came back and and saw yeah the old maxwell building which still exists and and looks exactly the same as i remember it was yeah that sort of brought it all back really and i used to yeah live on the peel park campus for for my first two years here so it, it's been it was my home for two two years of my life and I think yeah I think I had challenging times at the university but not through the university's fault just through my own uh, kind of personal challenges but then in terms of yeah how the university supported me I think it's 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 really nice to come back and still feel that level of support that you have really. What was it about Salford that drew you to wanted to study here? Mm. Well I was looking at Portsmouth and then when I saw that there was a uh, meet, then there was a university at Media City. Uh, I was like, right, well, there's no other option here. Uh, having a university on the doorstep of Media City is just like you want, you know, I'm somebody that won't shy away from the fact I want to be the, the best I can possibly be. And so I, I felt like that gave me the best possible chance. And so applied and some somehow was let in. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, I think a long, you know, it was four hours from where I, I grew up. So mm -hmm. it's been, it was quite a big 
you know, I'd never really moved house uh, before I came okay. to university. And I remember, I remember the day I left to come to university and I had this song. It was, it's called Love Will Set You Free by Codeline, which is a really sort of, you know, one of those sort of really emotional tunes. And I'd been listening to it a few weeks up to, you know, before I came to university. And I remember the day when, when we were driving out the, out the driveway and driving to Salford for that first time. I had that music on and every time I listen to that, it still reminds me of, of university. And, and yeah, it was a very emotional thing, you know, living on my own uh, for the first time ever. But it, it did get it did get easier. I think that's always the thing about going to university. People come from all over the UK mm. to Salford. People come internationally. And for some, as you say, it's a, it's a four-hour trip. And making that journey at the age of 18 or 19 or whenever people start university, it's a very big thing personally to go through and to try and grow up so quickly. How did you manage um, that that big gap in terms of your, your distance between here and home? Yeah, I, th- I think... You know, I, I just tried to focus on the study as much as possible, really. And, yeah, I think, you know, being autistic, making friends is always quite tricky and maintaining friends. But actually, I think, it, you know, I was with my my people, you know, when it got to the to the course. And I very much focused on my studies here at university. And I think that's something that will affect a lot of people who are, who are neurodivergent or autistic it is that sort of social element of university. And I, I didn't know I was autistic when I came to the university, but I you know, tried to, to get on as best I could with my flatmates and, you know, just try to focus on my, my degree as much as possible. But yeah, those those nights where, yeah, it was just, I say I'm not somebody that craves massive, massive social uh, company. So, so yeah, being in my flat, it was nice to, to have flatmates I got on with, but I did find that that dynamic quite, quite tricky. So yeah, I did spend a lot of, lot of time on my own in, in my room watching, you know, football or doing my studies. And I think, yeah, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've, I'll shy away from the fact that I think I was probably a little bit lonely at university, but I think, you know, as as time went on and as I got to my third year, I was I was very much happier with who I was, and I met my partner whilst I was at university, who I'm still with now. Um, so, yeah, a lot a lot of good has come from university, and I've made some some great friends and connections, and I do look at it as a very positive time. But in terms of my, I guess, narrative arc of of arriving quite sort of, yeah, quite isolated and, and not really knowing who I was to leaving and knowing enough to then go into the industry and knowing a, a lot more about myself and the you know the fact I was autistic it's it's yeah it it couldn't have been a bigger transformation really can you tell me a little bit about the process you went through when you when you found out that you're autistic in your second year and then as you say the process then how that then impacted you as a student going forwards mm. yeah i mean it was a case where i was at yeah, sort of in my second year, and I'd always, well, I was getting on with my studies more or less fine. I was, I was, you know, doing all the all the coursework and and everything you had to do, and I was, you know, passing more or less everything with with flying colours. And the only challenge I had was that there was a there was a module where, yeah, we had quite a new lecturer, and they came <laughs> they came around and asked what we thought of the module. And you know, as an autistic person, you're usually very honest and blunt, um, and I was a bit too honest basically, and uh, kind of told them as it as it was <laughs> um I mean as I should say that you know 99% of, of the modules were brilliant of course um but yeah there was this one that I just as I say just had a you know couldn't quite see where it was going and and, and that kind of thing anyway so I, I kind of said it anyway it didn't go down down very no, well sure um and I ended up speaking to the course leader and all sorts and I think it was just a lot of confusion like why but wow we weren't expecting that from Nick kind of thing mm-hmm. um and so you know, I, I think I just kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what happened afterwards. I don't know if there was a resolution. Maybe I, I might have apologised and, and we might have just agreed to, you know, 
carry on. I don't really know what happened. And then, yeah, it was during that summer between, uh, was it the, I don't know, it was between the first year and second year mm-hmm. when, oh, so yeah, this must have been my beginning of my second year. Something like that. I don't know the date. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, when I, when I was during the summer uh, of, of 2016, um, so yeah, after my first year, I was, I was out with my, uh, well, I know I'd gone home for, for the summer, actually, and my mum had said, because uh, I always I always struggle in the sort of domestic environment, I think, because, you know, when you're working, when you're in TV, when you're in media, whatever it might be, when you're doing a course, there is a degree of structure and routine and you can yes, kind of, it's predictable absolutely. to some degree. Yeah. Um, but at home, when there's, you know, uh, you've got washing to do, you've got, I'm sure everyone can relate to this to some degree, but then you've got your dinner to make and you've got a, you know, plan to have a, you know, am I having a shower in the morning? All these questions that you have at home where there is very much, you know, there's not usually a routine. Um, I find that very, very difficult. So at home, for example, and if things went wrong, so at home when I was with my parents, if uh, dinner was like late or uh, the printer broke or some, something like that, I'd be be distraught, um, and, which sounds ludicrous now. But um, I think, yeah, my mum my kind of put it down to, and my dad to probably put it down to kind of classic teenage behaviour of just being stressed and hormones and all the rest I've of it. And then it got to, yeah, it got to the end of my first, well, that gap between the first year and the second year. And, yeah, they kind of thought, oh, he's getting towards the end of his teenage years and he's still acting like a brat, basically. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, my mum went to, to the doctor and uh, a GP and, and said, uh, in a nicer way, obviously, but what what's wrong with my son, essentially? Um, <laughs> and then uh, she came home and said, uh, okay, so you might be autistic. And I kind of went, okay, I'll I'll try not to be offended by that because I had no knowledge of, of the subject. Yeah, so you didn't know anything really about it before? No, well, I knew my cousins were autistic. Um, okay. And... Yeah, I mean, they've got much higher support needs than, than I do. So I, I kind of didn't, yeah, didn't ever think that could be a, a possibility. Mm. And there's been lots of changes in the di- diagnostic criteria, which is slightly confusing things as well, but we won't go into that. The Yeah, so, so my mum came home and said that. And then a few months later, I was at uh, Reading, uh, Reading Pride, because um, mm-hmm. I'm part of the LGBT community, uh, community as well. And the, yeah, I mean, there was music, lights, lots of people. I went with my partner at, at, at that time. Uh, there was about 10 of us who all, all went. And I just remember that day um, at the, you know, festival thing where outside and, and the stage that I just couldn't get on board. I had no motivation to be there. I was like, this is so boring, which I was thinking, I mean, no offense, they're, they're lovely people. Um, but yeah, I, and I, I was driving home that day and I thought, hmm. There's something not right here. And I was thinking about to what my mum said. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe she's right. And I remember literally getting home after that event and looking it up and going, hmm, what's, what's, you know, what's it like to be autistic and all the rest of it. And I read through the list of traits and went, oh, she's got a point. <laughs> um, and so I was at uh, a point where, yeah, okay, zero to 100. Right, let's get, let's get the diagnosis tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, so I came back to university in the beginning of my second year and, and spoke to the, the university GP and said, oh, this might be a thing. And within, so that was the August, the Pride, and then it got to, I think, February when I was diagnosed. And a lot of people wait like five or six years. So yeah. I, I don't know whether it was th- for the fact I was through the university or whatever. But yeah, I got diagnosed in, in Chester and my mum came all the way up and supported me. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a case where it was a blue skies day and yeah, I had a sort of two-hour discussion with the the psychologist and she said you're autistic and I think a lot of people when they're younger have a oh my goodness I'm, I'm different this is a, a disaster to some degree mm. um, but for me it put in perspective everything that I'd achieved the fact that I was living now four hours away from home the fact that I was kind of living independently at university yeah um, and yeah it did give me a massive perspective and a, a confidence boost really and and 
Yeah, I'll never forget that day where, yeah, driving, getting the train back from Chester and it being the most beautiful day. And it felt like a new, massive new chapter. It felt more like my life had been split in two, really. Sounds like you took so much, so many positives from it, really. Mm. That, as you say, there was there was no negative connotations that came into your mind to get the diagnosis. You took, well, this is this is who I am, and actually, it makes sense to me. Yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. And and the thing that we have, you know, at the moment, and and you know, the the psychologists and and everyone involved in that world say that early diagnosis is better. And and of course, I I imagine that is the case. But we have to be careful not to say to young people, look, you're autistic and you're five, um, and then not tell them that it's okay to be different and, and you know, say that, you know, and make it a, a, a barrier, really. I mean, yeah. I think I probably wouldn't have been as ambitious. I might not have come to Salford if I'd known I was autistic. I would have perhaps played it safe and gone to Portsmouth down the road or whatever and been been a bit more, yeah, been a bit more safe. So for me, I think, yeah, there's not enough positive representation of autistic people. Of course, I'm not going to shy away from the fact that I still have challenges, but I think particularly in the country when we talk around neurodiversity as we call it there's there's not enough positive representation and yeah it is important we talk about the challenges but also the fact that there can be incredible strength and and for me that's sort of attention to detail and uh sort of that very black and white thinking and that uh, special interest mm-hmm. which is is media and has been from the age of about 11 12 so i, I look at it as i wouldn't be here in this industry if it, if i wasn't autistic Let's talk about your youth and your clear desire from, as you say, a very, <laughs> very early age to want to be a journalist. There's videos on YouTube oh, of, God, at you that them? age. Oh, you've probably watched them, haven't you? And <laughs> it, it's, for me, I think it's really quite endearing that it's so clear from watching that young boy at that age that this is what you wanted to do, yeah. that you've done a degree to get you to that point, And you've now graduated with a degree in it here. You've had so much experience in front of the camera. How has how has things gone living that dream since graduating? Yeah, it's been quite quite surreal, really. I, I mean, when I look back at how much I've done, you know, as you mentioned, worked worked in various areas of the BBC and done a few documentaries now, and also now stepped into yeah, kind of reporting on 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 news outlets. Yeah, I mean, if you'd said to me five years ago that this is where I'd be, I, I would have been absolutely stunned. And I think you know, there were four months, I should say, after university, trying to find that first job before I got a role at children need as a sort of digital social media assistant and yeah the toughest four months of of my life probably in terms okay. of leaving university and so it's not always been plain sailing and there's been lots of times where between contracts I've been set about for a month trying to find my next contract and I'm now in a so since sort of November of, of 2022 I've been a sort of freelancer where I've been pitching ideas to various you know news outlets and um, you know production companies or whatever and trying to get an idea over the line and, and I, as you mentioned I studied t- TV and radio which is much more of a sort of production focused degree and I, I, I always say to people I wish I'd taken journalism and people always say to me it doesn't matter it doesn't matter but actually I do think I'm seeing the pitfall now in the fact that I don't feel like I've got masses of journalistic nous. I mean I, I know what makes a story but actually pitching it and shaping it into a way which is going to get over the line um, particularly as a freelancer where you have to invest in a lot of a lot of time of your own mm-hmm. to then be told oh no that's not great um and so you found someone and oh right i'm gonna have to change it again so you spend a lot of free time a lot of time where you're not getting paid sort of coming up with ideas which i think had i done a journalism degree might have helped me more but then i might not have had the production skills so it's it's a it's a it's a funny thing i'm yeah i'm i'm positive about where i'm at after five years i think it's weird i'm when i'm with people i'm a very positive person but when i'm sat on my own in the car I'm always a very anxious, nervous person, always thinking about what's next and what's why that hasn't worked. And this is why I do things like this to yeah. kind of inspire myself again. 
No, no, I, I can absolutely understand mm. that. And let's talk about the neurodiverse media community. So where did that idea originate from? Was that something that you kind of thought was needed in the industry? And what are your main kind of goals with it? Mm. Yeah, so it was during the summer of 2020. I mean, the pandemic had happened, obviously. And I'd finished at where I, BBC Bite Size. I'd done some work on the Bite Size Daily program, which was uh, a sort of educational service for the kids during the pandemic. And it was a case where, yeah, it wasn't through anyone's fault. I just ended up, my contract had come to an end. And I was like, right, let's let's try and work out the next avenue and I was very lucky during the pandemic and obviously you know people in, in our industry really suffered but I had about two or three months off maybe and I did a bit of sort of development of a, a program idea but then was yeah it was during the time of the Black Lives Matter movement that was all sort of going on and, and I was thinking in terms of diversity and and what I represent and everything else and you know we all had a lot of time to think didn't we so I kind of thought is there a space in in media for neurodivergent people so that's people who are autistic have ADHD dyslexia dyspraxia mm-hmm. whatever it might be uh, one in five people amazingly are neurodivergent and so I thought there's there's got to be a space in our industry for exactly. for that and I looked and there wasn't one um and I thought well I might as well just set it up and uh was really keen to get it like like massive really early on and then I realized actually slow and steady is actually fine too um and so yeah we're up to about 900 members uh of neurodivergent media folk and that's That's people who who are you know university students that's people who are in the industry um I've just picked up loads of people along the way really and yeah in terms of its aims I mean the aim is still make it bigger than it is yeah Um, but you know every year for the last Three years we've done um, kind of an event with Screen Skills, who were the big body in, in TV, and we sort of, you know, I've been interviewing neurodivergent people um, from, you know, from my community as a panel on on Screen Skills uh, as his website, and yeah, and and we've yeah we've always just tried to be a community and a space online where people can feel comfortable to you know promote themselves or find other people and I say I'd love to spend more time on it but um, of course it doesn't bring me an, an income which as much as I'd love to spend more time on it I do need to you know obviously protect my myself so yeah I'd love to love to spend more time on it and I think you know it's it's proof that investment is is worthwhile in that and I've had some great people uh, some great production companies who have supported the new promotional video that we've been making so yeah it was it was set up just to just to be there, really. Um, and if anybody wanted to join it, then they were, more, they were more than welcome. Is it quite surprising that there wasn't one before you founded it? Um, How do you think the industry could do more in this space? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think neurodiversity as a term is, I mean, it's still quite new. Um, I mean, it was actually devised back in the 1990s, but it's it's only really come to prominence over the last few years. And I think the, the fact is that a lot of people... Yeah, uh, don't know they're neurodivergent. So, yeah, as I okay. mentioned earlier, one in five people are, are, are neurodivergent. And I think that the problem is when we talk about these conditions as conditions, such as ADHD, right. dyslexia, dyspraxia, we always end up focusing on, oh, it's a condition that I have been diagnosed with. And it yeah. all sounds very negative, doesn't it? Does. it? And right. as I say, I'm not, I'm not here to undermine the fact that, you know, neurodivergent people do struggle and, and do face a lot of barriers. But actually, they have so much strength as well. Like the number of dyslexic directors there are in our industry is unbelievable. That's because, okay, they might not be very skilled at reading text or writing or, or, or that kind of thing, but actually visually, creatively, thinking outside the box, they can do that. Yeah. So so actually, and that's why I challenge the media to do more in terms of actual positive representation because there was a thing with um, Jamie Oliver recently on the BBC <laughs> um, and it was just so focused. And I know, I know media and, and journalism is about a story and a narrative and all the rest of it, but 
it was like, can we even just say one sentence about why he he's you know what what good being dyslexic helps him? Um, and so from from my perspective, when you talk in the context of neurodiversity, which is very much the idea that it's just a part of human variation, and just like biodiversity, it's just something that you know people are neurodivergent, and if we accommodate them and if we make small changes, then they'll be successful as well. Um, then actually everybody wins. Um, and so. Yeah, my my point is essentially, that, and and the point of neurodiversity is that there's not enough positivity around these conditions when you talk about them as conditions. Um, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about them as conditions, but I'm saying if you reflect the context of neurodiversity within this, then everybody will feel better about themselves, and it's just reflecting on the strengths a bit more, essentially. Oh, absolutely, I think you've you've nailed it there. It's about being open about the positives and the strengths that come with that. And as you say, one in five people—that's so many people that don't know mm. for a start that that they are neurodivergent and it's making it quite a reality that it's a skill set which is going to be as you say essential in the media industry whether it's tv film radio those those jobs require such skills such specific skills which as you say to neurodivergent people are very appealing Mm. to have that skill set yeah i mean in terms of as i say we sort of touched upon this earlier like my my strengths of what i feel like I bring you know that attention to detail I was always really obsessed with video editing when I was younger and mm-hmm. so finessing every single shot and every frame and every audio level and branding is a big thing which you may have seen um, I'm, I'm big on my sort of personal brand online and so all the you know I think when you cover the details you actually um, you actually do do very well but uh, you know I should caveat all this and and you know I'm in the industry and I'm and I resp- but I don't really have that many access needs within the industry my you know my challenges as I mentioned are very much in a sort of domestic uh, relationship kind of setting in, in terms of my personal life so I, it's interesting perhaps that you know I, I say I'm not you know I'm not Clive Murray I'm not Hugh Edwards yet but I'm somebody who uh, has has done you know has moved up quite quickly yeah. but doesn't have any barriers and actually my question is you know people with with barriers in the workplace should be should be at my level as, as well is yes. kind of my point so I think it's yeah that that's an interesting thing to bear in mind absolutely I mean, so on a related note, so you've in the last year you've been making this this documentary series with Chris Packham, Inside Our Artistic Minds, which has been widely acclaimed. It's an absolutely fascinating watch. Still an eye player, by the way. Still an eye player, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How was it to make a program with an idol like that? I, it was. Very, I mean, it was. It's. I still. I feel like I've sort of moved on from it now men- mentally i mean i've just been asked in in the last half an hour to go and speak about the event again oh fab um and uh, speak about the program again and uh, at an event and so yeah it, it's still a, a massive part of my life but it was the most unbelievable experience i mean i started that in uh in november 2021 and yeah we it I was on that until about J- July um, 22 and then sort of worked on the edit until about November part time um, when I was in that sort of freelance world. And so, yeah, it was the most the most surreal, you know, I, so I was filming up and down the country. I was helping with casting. So finding people to we cast four people out of 5,000, <laughs> which was fun. Um, <laughs> but then also doing the really uh, important stuff that I feel really passionate about, which is you know, positive representation, uh, getting the language right, those sort of things um, we put in place. Um, so that was something I did a real range of things, really. And, you know, worked a bit with the accessibility and how actually we can make get the best of our, out of our autistic contributors and building in those sort of processes. So I did a bit of everything, really. Um, and yeah, it was and, and, and the most amazing story out of all of this is that um, 
one of the people featured in the program in the second episode, a guy called Anton. Uh, he's, a, he's again, somebody you would never suspect is probably autistic. And he uh, is, a, is a big football fan, as am I. He supports Middlesbrough, as am I. He lives okay. in Billingham, which is a, a village next to Middlesbrough, okay. where my dad grew up wow. and plays football five aside at the same sixth form where my dad used to go. I mean, it's the most unbelievable. And so essentially what happened was he was the first person to be cast on the series and I had nothing to do with it. So he wrote in and another member of the team interviewed him and said, oh, my goodness, you're he just says it as it is. And so he um, was cast to be on the series. And it was one of those really awkward autistic situations where I was like, right, so now I'm working on this program. So this is a contributor. Obviously, you know, there's a there's there's a line and there's a barrier here and I've got to you know respect my role and his role and everything else. But then we got on so well, it was like, oh, right, we're going to become good mates here. And so. Again, that was something to sort of hurdle from an autistic sort of social perspective. But yeah, then, yeah. but then also at the end of it, when it was all done, um, we've become great friends and have been to matches together. Oh, and, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it was, and we filmed at the Middlesbrough Stadium, so it was just the most bizarre experience you could possibly imagine in terms of a career highlight. Really, I mean, what are the odds of that? Can no, someone work that out? I can't, I can't imagine <laughs> what the odds would be. Um, no, that's fantastic. And so he lives down the road from my where my nan is and my cousins and so every time I I mean there's more of an excuse to go up there now not that my family weren't a good enough excuse but um yeah it's it's great it's great I think that's the best thing that, that that's the happened. best thing that's come from it yeah and and were you so excited to see it come out and start to see how people were going to respond to it was was there some nerves around that or was it kind of because it's something that's quite personal to you or was it just keen to see it out there in the world it, yeah. and the stories being told it felt like it was never going to happen really it felt oh, okay. like we I mean we'd I say we started in November 21 and it broadcast in February 23. So actually that's nearly almost a year and a half. And it just felt like it will go out at some point. And we didn't really know have a date until quite probably January. Um, and yeah, it felt like it was just going, um, there was talk about it maybe being December at one point. So it felt like it just kept getting pushed into the future. But then when it did happen, there was a lot of conversations about, um, yeah, how we all wanted to do it. And we ended up doing a big sort of screening in London and we had the whole team there. And I mean, I worked on the, the edits, so I'd say either the guys were cutting it down in London, but and, and I was doing, obviously, my sort of freelance stuff, mm-hmm. but then still watching bits and bobs and feeding back. And so I'd seen all the episodes, and I'd seen the finished cuts, and uh, we went into the screening in London and watched it all. And it was amazing, because we had 90% of the team there, which was just amazing to have every, and catch up with everyone, because, you know, the programme sort of wrapped, and the edits sort of wrapped in November. Filming had wrapped in... Um, in sort of August. So it'd been a while since we'd seen each other. And we, we all had this massive screening and watched the show go out. And I, I sort of didn't look at Twitter for the first 20 minutes and then couldn't resist. And after about half an hour, um, having seen it hundreds of times, um, I was at just a total mess. Um, and I think that was because, yeah, I think partly it was it was representation, which was, you know, finally we were being being seen in a positive light. Social media was 99.9999% positive. Like there was very rarely a, a crossword against it. Um, so to have A, done my job well, B, have had positive representation, C, to have everyone there, D, to, um, yeah, to, to have all these comments and, and, and I'd had a few beers and it was, it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I was just a mess by the end. And, and everyone just kept passing me tissue. It was really quite embarrassing, actually. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was it was funny. I, I don't think it sounds embarrassing. I think it sounds like um, I think the key word you said in that was representation and 
positive reaction that you got from it. It just sounds like such a a, pro- a project which you will remember for a long time yeah. and be able to look back on with just so much positivity. Yeah. What's what's funny actually, and this is probably the most autistic thing about it. So I, after the series was finished, um, I put together a collage of all the photos, a few of the screenshots of the program and all the behind the scenes shots yeah. that I got into a massive collage. I did it on Photoshop. And so I got it printed at the the, the printers. I don't know why I'm telling the story, but anyway, it's, it, there's a, and so I, so I bought a frame for it and everything. And it was, to anyone, it would be like perfect. But because I'd not added a bleed, as they call it, on, on the collage, um, it didn't sit very well in the frame. So it cut off all the logos of the BBC Two and iPlayer logo that I'd added on. And so I haven't actually put it up because I've, I've, it's, it's not perfect enough for me, which is a very autistic thing, like that attention to detail of it not looking quite right. I see. Um, has really sort of grazed on me. So it's still sat in my spare room not on the wall um and i think how ironic that yeah an autistic person can't put up a a frame about uh an autistic program because it's not perfect enough oh there we go as you say that is <laughs> it's very apt very apt i know um so you mentioned clive you mentioned Hugh, you mentioned the, the big presenters then so mm. what what's the what's the goal for nick ransom then yeah, it's it's funny as as you've heard, I've moved about across various different areas of TV and digital, and and now sort of journalism. And I think from from me when I was younger, as you mentioned, uh, there's there's videos of me on YouTube um, presenting when I was younger, and and it came from a place of yeah, just I, I enjoy. I, I've always said that find I find it easier talking to a camera than <laughs> talking to a person, which because cameras don't tend to blink or give you a funny look, or, or as much as we love people and humans <laughs> i should say um it's it's having yeah having talking to a camera seems less less terrifying okay. and so that uh and so yeah i did that from a, a young age and so that that still is always the the dream to do that professionally i think people might look at me now and go oh he is doing that professionally but i've done i think maybe seven reports on air which you know i'm very grateful for and had had a great time doing them but i'd love to do it almost every day of my my life because it's um it would make my life less stressful to some degree, um, but I think, yeah, the, the sort of long term goal is to is to make documentaries. I mean, the, the you know the, the role that Chris Packham played in difficult to say, the role that Chris Packham played in the the documentary. Um, I'd love to do something like that. Yeah, I'd love to. I say for me, it's 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 the classic kind of media expression of giving people a voice who don't have a voice. And I think you know, as I say, being part of all the communities that I represent, it's a really important area and and to do it the right way as we've said with sort mm-hmm. of positive representation so for me it's to to be an on-screen rep, you know representation representation of of autistic people and to give people hope but then also not deny the the unbelievable challenges that autistic and neurodivergent people face nick it's been a real pleasure hearing about your story and coming down thank you very much for coming down to campus today for thanks this. it's been good fun oh, we really <laughs> appreciate it um and that brings an end to the very first episode of the talking software podcast um if you've liked what you've heard um do subscribe to us we're going to be wherever you get your podcast or are listening to us right now for the next few episodes on the feed um until next time goodbye <laughs>